Hello, friends. Uh, I'm Matt Torney, Theatrical Outfit's Artistic Director, and I'm talking to you today from the Balzer Theatre, right in the heart of downtown Atlanta. I'm really excited to share this new programme with you, The Welcome Table, which was born out of a desire to give back to our community, to be a good downtown neighbour, and most importantly, to do our part to help build what Dr King called the beloved community where everyone is welcome, everyone shows up for one another, and everyone has a part to play. Um, each year, we're going to use the welcome table to take a deep look at a pressing issue in, in our society. Uh, we're also going to create some amazing original theatre, and most importantly, fundraise for critical organisations that are serving on the front lines. Um, tonight, we're partnering with our good friends at Blacked ATL, which is an organization that exists where art and activism meet. And together, we're going to look at homelessness in downtown Atlanta. Now, homelessness is a huge and growing problem, but it is an especially big problem in the middle of a global pandemic. COVID is really hitting this population hard. I mean, think about it. If a governor sends out a stay-at-home order, what do you do if you've got no home to go to? When this is coupled with the fact that many people experiencing homelessness are also uh, experiencing underlying health conditions, uh, battling mental health issues, battling addictions, you see the scale of the problem. We wanted to help out now as numbers are rising across the country and we're about to enter the coldest, darkest months of the year. Luckily, there are some amazing organizations that work together to provide a safety net for people experiencing homelessness at every stage of the journey. And we are raising money for four of those organizations tonight. Uh, we're raising money for the Gateway Center, the Atlanta Mission, and specifically their women and children's shelter, My Sister's House, um, the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception and their Shrine Outreach Programs and Community Friendship. You're going to be meeting some amazing folks who work at these uh, at these at these great organizations and um, our colleagues at Black have curated some incredible original performances for you that explore homelessness from from a human perspective. And I'm also delighted uh, to let you know that we'll be welcoming our musical guests, the Homeward Choir. Uh, so it's going to be a great evening now. I want to introduce you to my good friend, Marcus, who's going to tell you about Blacked and, uh, and our partnership on this event. Thank you for the kind words, Matt. Hi, my name is Marcus Hopkins Turner. I'm a co-founder of Black ATL. Founded in 2019 as an advocacy group for Black theater artists in Atlanta, Black ATL strives to bridge the gap between artistry, community, and service. In June of this year, Black ATL was able to gather over 2,000 local artists to stand and march in solidarity over the treatment of Black people in this country. This feat would not have been possible without the partnership and support of Theatrical Outfit. The welcome table is the next step in this partnership. Aiming to use art as a medium to battle homelessness, the welcome table combines music, poetry, and immeasurable compassion. Thanks, Marcus. Um, every single dollar that we raise tonight is just going to go directly to these organizations and is going to help fund frontline programs that are urgently needed in the coming months. Uh, just go to our website, go to the donate page, 
under a welcome table, give what you can. Every dollar, every cent, every donation, no matter how small, is going to make an impact. So let's work together and see what we can do to, to help these incredible organizations. Um, I also want to offer a huge thank you to our corporate sponsors for the Welcome Table, Zeller Realty, especially to Mark Deirdre and the team at 100 Peachtree. Thank you for seeing the need. Thank you for jumping on board. It is it's truly wonderful to have your support. Let's get started. First up, I want to introduce you to Tammy Hughes, who is the Social Impact Director for Central Atlanta Progress. She's been working on homelessness for her entire career and, and uh, just has an amazing perspective to share. Hello, Tammy, and thank you so much for joining us today at uh, the Welcome Table. Delighted to be speaking with you. Um, first up, a question. Um, could you give us an overview of the issue of homelessness in Atlanta? Thank you, Mary. Happy to talk with you. I wanted to make sure that people understand that homelessness is not a condition. It is a circumstance that uh, people find themselves in, and it's a circumstance that any one of us could find ourselves in. Many of our homeless population in um, particularly downtown Atlanta, um, they are transient from another city or another state, and just as many of them um, know Atlanta as home. And so they remain here and want to remain here, even though they find themselves in a vulnerable position um, by remaining in Atlanta. But homelessness is, again, not a condition. It is a circumstance. And so it doesn't represent the person, it just represents a situation that they find themselves in. And it looks different. Um, it is as varied as the number of people who are having this experience of homelessness. And so there are a number of reasons why they could be having this experience and find themselves in, a, in the situation. And it is temporal, it is not uh, terminal. And uh, it can be varied in length, in scope, in um, reasons why. And one of the pivotal things about homelessness is that people have the right to choose to be homeless, right? So if for whatever reason uh, they have had some trauma associated with being housed, where they were housed, or why they were housed, or how they were housed, uh, that trauma may lead them to a, uh, a experience where being unsheltered represents a sense of safety for them that they cannot get um, outside of some therapeutic intervention um, having a housed uh, experience. So um, all that to say that homelessness is, it's not one thing. And it's not the same thing for every homeless person that we may encounter or observe or engage with. Recently, I saw this incredible webinar that you, you offered to downtown businesses, you know, to talk about the, the issue of homelessness and some things that we can do. And you had some amazing statistics in there um, about who is homeless and 
some of the specific challenges they face with 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 addiction and trauma. Um, I just want to would you be able to give us an overview of who is or who are the homeless population in Atlanta? Sure. Um, from uh, the statistics that are uh, very similar to what it looks like nationwide, um, for our homeless uh, population, those experiencing homelessness, um, there are about 40, uh, close to 50% of individuals experiencing homelessness um, suffer from serious mental illness and or substance abuse disorders. So there uh, what's known as co-occurring um, issues or uh, diseases. And so when you see a homeless person uh, who is experiencing um, a um, episode where they may seem to you that they're acting out, uh, they are likely um, experiencing something related to this mental illness or the substance abuse disorder. And these are issues for the most part that they can't overcome on their own, that it takes someone um, engaging with them and getting uh, them the therapeutic assistance that they need to help overcome their situation. So uh, and it's such a large portion, like like I said, over 40% of our um, population experiencing homelessness are suffering from mental illness and or substance abuse disorders. And so it, it's the reason why homeless service providers are so important because they have to be able to connect with our homeless neighbors to be able to help them overcome these barriers that, um, but for this assistance, they would remain in the circumstance that they're in. And, you know, mental illness is something that requires uh, treatment. Uh, substance use or substance abuse disorders are things that require treatment and um, connection to homeless service providers. And so because there's such a large number in our homeless community, it's why, like I said, the homeless service providers are so important um, because it, it's, they're not just homeless, right? So what you see them doing to survive, they're trying to survive while having a mental illness or they're trying to survive while struggling with uh, substance use disorder. So it is a significant portion of our homeless uh, population, nearly 50%. I, one of the things in the webinar that inspired me most, as you said, that the way we solve this is with partnership and collaboration. Um, so thank you um, for your partnership on this event. And um, uh, we at Theatrical Life look forward to collaborating with you uh, in the future, you know, to, to, to take part in uplifting the homeless population and, and, and supporting them. Um, yeah. and thank you so much for what you guys are doing to... Um, bring light to our uh, population experiencing homelessness and the uh, opportunity to partner and collaborate for whatever your organization looks like or whatever you do as your primary service can always partner and collaborate with a service uh, that is the human service. So we're all in the business of uh, serving humans. 
and just having a collaboration or a partnership where we serve vulnerable humans is something that makes us um, who we are as um, good people. So thank you for what you guys are doing. Well, uh, thank you so much, Tommy. Have an excellent day. What is family and where do we find it? A young man tries to define his new world. Cold Concrete, written by Paris Creighton and performed by Ibrahim Farmer. Ever spent the night sleeping on concrete? It ain't comfortable, but you adjust the best way you can. If you're lucky, there's some cardboard or something around to make it a little better. Once I slept on a box that had one of those little motorized cars for kids, the big ones you could drive around pretending to be a grown up. I had one of those. Dad got it for me and he used to take me to the park and let me drive around in it. That box made me sad because he's gone now. Died when I was still little. Grandma raised me, if you can call it raised. Mama was in the house, but she was a kid herself. She more like a sister to me. Grandma is, how can I put this nicely? A Holy Ghost freak. I swear we lived in church because we was there more than we was home. Grandma put God first in everything and wanted all us to do the same. I was in the house with her, my mama, two uncles, they four kids, a dog, two cats, and a parakeet, three bedrooms. But now my bedroom is wherever I end up for the night. I'm lucky enough to sleep on friends' couches sometimes, but I don't like being a burden on nobody. So as funny as it sounds, I'd rather stay outside. That way I don't owe anyone anything. I don't really trust people because the ones I did trust threw me out for telling my truth. Grandma always told me that liars were going to hell, so I thought I was supposed to be honest. Came out to her and she kicked me out. Told me the devil had gotten in me and I didn't have no more reason being in her house. She told me I was going to burn in hell for my sins and that I should be ashamed. I'm not though. I am who I am. Right now I'm homeless, but trust and believe I won't stay homeless. I've only been out here for a couple of months. I'm still working and everything, still going to school. Gotta make something of myself because this isn't supposed to be my life. It won't be. That's a promise. As soon as I get myself together, I'm going to come back and help the folks out here. You don't really know homeless until you've been homeless yourself. It's funny though because of all the years with my grandma and all them people down at Mount Hanging Savior claiming to be so holy, but it's the folks on the streets who seem to be the most giving. First day I was out here, a lady named Lydia gave me a blanket. Next day, this dude named Timothy gave me a slice of his pizza. I wasn't even hungry and I had enough money to get myself something, but he insisted. We didn't really talk much. Just sat and ate the pizza on the sidewalk. I bought him a whole pie last week and he went around sharing it. I feel more love with these folks 
And that's funny because I didn't really pay attention to homeless people like that before. Grandma always told me all they do is beg for drug money. That's not true. And even if that was the case, shouldn't she be willing to love them anyway? I'm sure that's what Jesus would have done. As hard as this is, I'm grateful because it could be worse. I could still be living in grandma's place pretending to be not like everyone in that household is accustomed to doing. But I wanted to live in my truth. This is my truth right now, sleeping on the streets. I could go to a shelter, but I'm trying to save to get myself out of this situation. And a couple of times I did sleep on the shelter, I got things stolen from me. So here I am on this cold concrete, but it isn't as cold as the family who threw me out. Maybe they did me a favor. We have people from every walk of life. We have people who are ex-addicts. We have people who are um, have master's degrees, doctorate degrees from different universities around the country. Um, but people who have fallen on hard times and can't pay bills and are living on the streets. Um, we have people from, from every culture, every society, every religious background, every colour. And um, what we try and do is create a place that we call home and get these folks in the door and create community. And within that community, then, we try and create some pretty magical moments. And that's what the Home Inquiry does. Well, it's great yeah. to meet another Irish person living and working in downtown Atlanta. <laughs> um, so tell me about uh, the Homework Choir. Well, the Homework Choir was one of those things that needed to happen, which is my perspective anyway. Um, like I said, I grew up in Ireland, a very small town just west of Dublin, and um, homelessness was not something that I was accustomed to. It was not something that I knew much about. And when I moved over to the States, I lived on St. Pete Beach, Florida, which is a pretty affluent area. So I suppose the reality of what all things homelessness hit me in the face like a brick when I showed up at the shrine as the new music minister. Um, you know, the face of homelessness was was just everywhere you know i one thing that kind of really shook me was one morning when i was coming into work i had to walk over someone to get in the door of the office the person wouldn't wake up and you know and i needed to get into my office and it really it, it really struck me that i just walked over another human being and that's not right and so it kind of evoked me, you know, what is a donor that you can do? And well, the only thing that I know what to do is make music and make people sing. And so that's pretty much where the background for the homework choir came from. Uh, I partnered with the Central Night Shelter. At the time, the director was Katie Basher, a wonderful woman, a wonderful character in Atlanta history. Um, unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago, but she loved the idea. And so the two of us together, we kind of set about accosting people into joining our choir and it did and that was eight years ago now and um the choir has just just kind of grown into this not only a choir but a community of people mm. of volunteers of singers and um, we at the beginning only had a only we had a men's choir because the central night shelter was a men's shelter and um, i knew that there was a lot missing and so up next we 
Harper City of Refuge and created a second choir for women. And um, our latest choir before COVID was in a partnership with Covenant House of, of Georgia and a choir for young people out of their center. So um, the choir, the, the organization has just kind of grown and grown and grown, but our mission has kind of stayed the same. And that is to bring people together, make music, create community and have a good time. And that's what we do. And it's, mm. it's, it's pretty great. And and your the choir has gotten to kind of sing in different cities across America and had some sort of like nice yeah. media attention. We've been really lucky. We've been really really lucky that um, we were invited into in 2015 to sing at the White House, and um, that was an amazing experience for me and for the men in the choir. And from what I learned after that, for people who witnessed what was going on, who followed the story. Um, because they were seeing that these homeless people who, you know, the, the word homeless people just is, it's something that has just kind of, I don't know, it, it, it just never sits well with me. You know, homelessness is a state. It's not, it, it's not who and what somebody is. Um, and so helping people see that, that it's homelessness is a now, it's not a forever thing, is something that the choir does. So, you know, I think we've talked before in earlier conversations that we've had that there's two benchmarks that I always have for accepting a performance engagement for any one of the homeward choirs. And it's, um, you know, to, to call the house to action and to uplift those experiencing homelessness through music and song. So if, if the criteria is met by those two things, am I gonna have a platform to say, are we gonna have a platform to say, hey, look, there's a whole lot more to these people who are sleeping on the streets than what meets the eye. And they're our brothers and sisters. And, you know, they, they, they in fact, they're not invisible, you know, and that's what we do. We don't do it in a, an aggressive way. We do it like in a, let's come together as one community and make music, sing together, have a laugh, and then go about our business trying to maybe change our perspective. Uh, you're here today, not just to, to, to share the music with us and talk to us about the choir, but also to talk about where the choir is based, the yeah. Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Oh, the Shrine is, is just amazing. You know, the Central Night Shelter um, started out of the Shrine and Central Presbyterian Church. Um, we have a morning sandwich ministry that serves hundreds of people every day sandwiches. Actually, in the month of October, we served over 13,000 sandwiches to people who came to the door. And wow. it, that number just blew me away. First of all, that we were able to do that. And secondly, that we were needed, to, that it was needed to do that. And I think that we're, we're looking down the barrel of something coming up in the next six to eight months to a year that we've never seen before. And we're trying to prepare ourselves for that and um, that to, to ready ourselves for helping anyone who comes to the door that needs help. Um, every morning, every Saturday morning, there's a hot meal served to anyone who comes to the door. And that's called St. Francis Table, which has been going on for many, many, many years. And um, it's one of those things that, you know, in COVID times, we've not been able to sit down and gather as community because for obvious reasons. Um, but there's still that connection that happens between helping someone who needs it and, you know, asking for help, having the courage mm -hmm. to ask for help. And the population of people who come for help from St. Francis Table on Saturday mornings are families who just who just need that little extra bit of help so the the outreach of the shrine just you know it goes it goes back in time and it continues and it gives us 
the courage to continue for tomorrow. And I'm, I'm so inspired by it. It's the reason why I accepted the job and uprooted my life and moved to Atlanta eight years ago. It's a very special place. And um, it has, you know, we talk about in church circles, the gospel message. Um, it doesn't just talk about the gospel. It lives the gospel and mm. so that's where our motivation comes from and it's it's a wonderful wonderful place and everybody is welcome to come check it out <laughs> it's fun so <laughs> talking talking about covid um what do you see as the main challenges to the downtown homeless community in the coming months you know so many of how we used to operate is no longer possible. Like, you know, in gathering in one place, it's not an option anymore. So a friend of mine, um, a choir director from Dallas, Texas, um, who directs the Dallas Street Choir, he said to me, Don, we have to learn how to live in parallel with this thing. And that was something that just, again, there goes that brick in the head. You know, I was like, how do we, we don't recreate the wheel, we have to create a brand new wheel. And we have to learn to live in parallel with this thing. So maybe instead of gathering inside, we go to a park. We, instead of bringing people to church, we bring church to people. And um, we've, we've got, that's one of the challenges is for us to be creative enough to, to invent a new wheel and, and system and how to run these things. But like right now, um, I'm not going to be doom and gloom about it, but, you know, we have so many people who normally would be in shelters right now, but they're not able to because the shelters can't, in that mechanism, they, they can't safely house people. Um, you know, and so you have to kind of evaluate the risk. Is it easier to stay outside and not get COVID or come inside and be warm but catch COVID? And it's, you've got to make these calls that you never thought that um, you would have to make as music ministers, as musicians, as actors, as people who work in the creative, you know, who are not epidemiologists, you know, like, how do we make these calls? We just have to move forward. And so one of the things that's kind of facing the, 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 the homeless community in downtown Atlanta is that the resources that were sometimes there for them are no longer able to continue in that world. And so that we need to get moving towards creating those new vessels to bring services to people. Well, I hope that uh, the support of this evening and the ongoing support of our community uh, can can help lighten the load a little. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for seeing the need. It's, yeah. it's there. Yeah. And, and now, as a very special treat, um, <laughs> I shared a video of the Homeward Choir singing Hallelujah.
the humanity and humans without conditions. Stake, a poem written and performed by Pulitzer Prize winning poet Jericho Brown. I am a they in most of America. Someone feels lost in the forest of we, so he can't imagine a single tree. He can't bear it, a cross, a crucifixion, such a Christian. All that wood headed his way in the fact of a man or a woman who might as well be a secret, so serious his need to see inside, to cut down, to tell, how old will I get to be in a nation that believes we can grow out of a grave, can reach, climb high as the first state bank, take a bullet, break through concrete, the sidewalk, the tree someone crosses when he sees wilderness, where he wanted his city, his cross tie, his telephone pole, timber, timbre. It's an awful sound and people pay to hear it. People say bad things about me though they don't know my name. I have a name, a stake. I settle, dig, die, go underground, tunnel the ocean floor, root, shoot up like a thought someone planted, 
Someone planted an idea of me, a lie, a lawn jockey, the myth of a wooded hamlet in America, a thicket, hell, a patch of sunlit grass where any one of us bursts into one someone as whole as we. Hello, everybody. Um, just wanted to check in and say thank you for watching the Welcome Table so far. I'm so inspired by the community that we've gathered around this event, uh, these incredible individuals and the amazing organizations that, that, that are taking such care to build amazing and impactful programs to serve a very vulnerable population. Um, Black ATL and, and these great artists uh, that they brought together to to find words for the experience of homelessness and help us understand it in a more direct way. And of course, music from the Homework Choir. Um, if you can, please donate. Uh, just go on our website uh, under donate, under the welcome table, give what you can. Every single dollar that we raise tonight is gonna go direct to these incredible organizations who I assure you will put it to very good use. So. Click the website, hit donate, or if you want, you can send a check to us at Theatrical Outfit. We'll make sure it finds its way to these incredible organizations. Up next, I'm delighted to introduce Renee Basil from Community Friendship. Hello, uh, and I'm delighted uh, to welcome Renee Basil from Community Friendship. Uh, Renee is the Director of Development and Communications. Uh, Renee, hello, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. It's been a pleasure getting to know more about your organization and how we can connect. Uh, and, and likewise, you know, the, the work that you do is just really, really powerful and answers such a direct need um, uh, for the homeless population of Atlanta. Um, but first and foremost, um, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about community friendship and the work that you do? Okay. Community Friendship is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're based in the uh, metropolitan Atlanta area in the Midtown area. We provide uh, services and programs and housing to adults who have been diagnosed with a mental illness throughout the metro Atlanta area. Uh, some of those services include a psychosocial day program where we assist individuals with everyday living skills and how to adapt those everyday living skills so they can be more self-sufficient and independent. We also have a work opportunities program or supported employment program where we kind of um, serve as the mediator, the facilitator between an individual who may have a mental illness or who has been diagnosed with a mental illness and the employer. And so we assure that that individual is able to, to keep their job, be successful in their role with, with the employer and in their job, you know, that they've been hired to do. We also provide housing service to uh, adults across Metro Atlanta to, to help alleviate issues of homelessness. And then we have an active uh, PAP team that uh, works on the ground every day in places where people um, should not be sleeping such as under bridges and on um, street corners and at bus stops to help them um, build relationships with the individuals on our teams to become self-sufficient and independent and just help them to become more productive in, 
and vital parts of our communities as a whole. So this year we celebrate 50 years of service at Community Fellowship. Um, it has been a pleasure um, to work not just with the consumers that we serve, but the staff. I can tell you Community Friendship has a dedicated staff of individuals who really work tirelessly in spite of what our world is going through right now to assure that people receive the services and the supports that they need to be successful. That, that's wonderful. Um, we were speaking shortly before I started recording about um, the statistics that there's such a huge percentage of the homeless population that experience mental illness. And then another huge percentage that also are battling with addiction. Um, so so, so that, that just feel, it feels like the services that you're providing are absolutely essential. Um, can you tell me, um, through your work with the homeless, what have you learned about people who are homeless? What, what, what have you learned about kind of the, the culture of homelessness in Atlanta and, and the challenges well, that they face? Well, I can tell you, Matthew, that um, it's very important to listen. Hmm. It's very important to listen to people who are homeless. And it's very important to build relationships with people who are homeless. Because in many cases, these individuals have been on the streets for numerous amount of years, living in the conditions that they have adapted to. They have built relationships with others in these conditions who are in the same condition as them, but these are their friends. These are their their constituents. These are the people that they are so uh, bound to in relationship building. And so I think the most important thing we can do as individuals is not to jump to assumptions and really listen, because we think that if we take you from the streets and put you in a warm bed, that all is well. Well, there are so many underlying issues to that um, that it requires you to listen and be really actively involved with individuals. That scenario of taking someone from the street and putting them in a house and saying, here are your keys, congratulations, may be what we as individuals who are not experiencing this thinks is the best solution, mm -hmm. but in some cases it's, it's not. And it requires a tremendous amount of supportive services to help that person be successful and understand this transition from where they were and where they're trying to get, if that so be their goal. They have, they have choice. So yeah. pushing an individual to do something is not always the solution. So I would say the one thing that we have learned in all of, many of our community partners have learned is learning how to, to listen, do motivational interviewing, take some time to get to know the individual to find out what their needs are, what their wants are, and how we can best serve them. Mm. That's, that, that's, that's amazing. Actually, lines up with the theater as well. Listening <laughs> right, <laughs> is, is a right. core part. That's how the transformation occurs. That's how the good work occurs. So obviously this is 2020. This is a, a, a very tough year for, for us all with, with the pandemic. How has COVID affected your work? And, and what are you looking, you know, when you're looking at the months ahead, as we're going to get into a, a surge and a kind of challenging time, right. uh, what, are you, what are you most concerned about going into winter? Well, I think um, the most uh, vital, vital part of what we do is seeing more individuals 
who may not be diagnosed as of yet with a mental illness, but mental illness, as we've seen so far, being on the forefront of, of this pandemic, making sure that individuals have the support that they need. We're here to serve them. We're here to help. We're here to connect them to other community partners as needed based on the things that they, they need to, to be you know, successful. So I would just say um, we're going to see an increase, not just in COVID numbers, but we're also probably going to see an increase in individuals dealing with mental illnesses, whether it be depression or um, being isolated and alone. I can see that being a major issue. Um, additionally, we will probably see more people who are experiencing homelessness because they are unable to keep their jobs. Um, they may be homeless or evicted or out on the street. There are several programs available right now through um, Metro Atlanta and other counties. I just heard the uh, Cal County recently uh, getting some additional funds to help people with evictions and utilities. The United Way has, has provided resources to help with evictions and utilities throughout the Metro Atlanta or the city of Atlanta. Um, and so I see that increasing. I see the need for more mental health supportive services and I see the need for more people to find the resources that they need so they don't end up homeless. That's so some challenging times ahead, but but hopefully if we all bind together, you know, we can we can we can help help make a difference. Um, just like I'm, we are right now, man. Just like we are right now. You know? yeah, Tommy uh, Tommy um, at uh, Central Land of Progress said that the way you solve homelessness is not just by by giving money; it's through partnership and collaboration. You've got to build a network of organizations, and you know, there's just multiple 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 uh, people who can catch you at the vital moment that you need caught. Thank you so much for all that you do um, for, for the vulnerable communities of Atlanta. Um, I, I appreciate the kind of empathy that you're bringing to this conversation. Um, and you know, this need for connection, this need for listening, um, I think is very important. So thank you for being part of the welcome table and uh, have an excellent day. Thank you, Matt, you as well, thank you. Okay. I was homeless and I was inside of a city hall to perform for people who I'd never even seen before, you know, like people who would like probably look down on us or, you know, say things behind our back. But, you know, we were standing there and we was performing and singing for them. They was like, you know, some of them were crying and, you know, everybody was coming, shaking their hands and saying, you know, good job, guys. And it just made, it made you feel like, you know, you were worth you know, it gave you your worth back. What you have done for the least of my children, you have done for me. What you have given for nothing that you give, you have given me. Thank you.
entitled to be hopeful in what they are hopeful about? I Need My Miracle, written by Paris Creighton and performed by Belia Woodbury. I still ain't forgave her. Why should I? She knew what he was doing to me, but she gnawed it like you know them damn Jehovah's Witnesses that come knocking Saturday mornings. That's when all of this started. With that man, she wanted me to call stepdaddy. You want none of my daddy sneaking into my room at night. Started when I was about seven and kept happening till I ran away at 14. You know, she ain't even looked for me. She lied talking about she was worried, but she don't worry about nothing but herself. This, what I know since I was 14, these here streets. Met Jimmy when I was around 15, started using. People look at me crazy, but it was the only thing I had to ease the pain and I done felt a lot of pain. Been on and off the streets. Every time I try to get my life together, it feels like something come along and mess it up. One step forward, 19 steps back. But I keep going. I have to, because I ain't living just for me no more. Look, you see that? That's my baby girl. I name a miracle, because that's exactly what she was. I wasn't trying to have no babies. Done got rid of a few of them and was planning to do the same with her, but I ended up getting locked up. Ain't that funny? Knocked up and locked up. Had it in my cell all by myself. God and his angels was there, I suppose, but I ain't trying to get all spiritual. She got it now. 
Mama do. Don't let me see her though. I don't even think I want to see her till I get back on my feet. All I need is a little help. But ain't nobody willing to help me. People don't even look at me. And when they do, I can tell that they just, they looking through me. They'll see a person. They, they see a void. Ask for a little help and they say they ain't got it. Walk around in expensive jewelry and shoes, but they ain't got it. So that's why I try as best I can to keep to myself and stay out of trouble. Only person I got is Jimmy. We got married about nine years ago, even though I don't hardly see him. See, I'm getting myself clean, but he still don't want nothing out of life. I told him I ain't spending all my years living on these streets, but he seemed content. I want something more. I want to be with my daughter, but it seemed like that ain't never going to happen. I keep praying though. Hoping God or whoever up there hear my prayers. Been praying a long time and I ain't gonna stop because it's the only thing I got that's higher than me. You got to have something higher than you. Know why? It gives you something to reach for. You can stretch out your arms and scream, help me, and hope one day that hope will come. As hard as my life been, I think it will. It better. Because if this all life's supposed to be about, as soon as I get to heaven, I'm marching right up to God and punching him dead in his all-seeing eye. Yeah, I know something better coming. Mama say I'm going to be like this forever. She say she don't know what she did to deserve a daughter like me. I think she know exactly what she did, but she ain't trying to face the truth. Let me tell you something else. When you out here on these streets, you face the truth every single day. The truth that your life is when people see as obsolete, but that ain't me. You hear me? My life, no matter how hard it's been, deserves to be seen. I need you to see me. Don't just walk past, see me, help me. I gotta get back to my daughter. I gotta build us a life. Maybe if Jimmy get his act together, he can come. But I got to get my baby before mama mess her up too. I ain't forgive her. Don't think I ever will. I just need to get my baby. That's all. I need my miracle. Um, hello, uh, Rachel, and welcome uh, to this evening. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Um, uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's a beautiful day in Atlanta. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's it really wonderful. Um, we are so inspired um, by the work that the Atlanta Mission does with all of your shelters and with my sister's house uh, in particular. Um, first of all, a question. Can you tell us a little bit about the Atlanta Mission and, and the work that you guys do? Yeah, so we are the largest and oldest provider of homeless services in Atlanta. So we originally started right after the Great Depression. So it's interesting we're talking right now after a, Nash, a pandemic, worldwide pandemic, because we actually started um, from the Great Depression, great time of need, as a soup kitchen just for men. Um, in the 60s, we expanded to women and children. And so now today, we are over 80 years old and we provide homeless services for 
up to a thousand men, women, and children in Atlanta, uh, which is just incredible. We really focus not just on meeting their physical needs, but meeting their whole person. So we believe that just because you're homeless doesn't mean you're different than any other human being. Um, you still have those emotional, physical, uh, mental, spiritual needs. And so we focus on all of those. Mm, uh, that that's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, that that's what we are hearing from all of our community partners is that you have to you have to look at the totality and, and build a network that can catch the whole person. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, my sister's house and and the women's shelter in particular. I love talking about my sister's house because it's actually I started volunteering there almost eight years ago now. Uh, before I was on staff at the mission, I walked into the doors of my sister's house. At first, I heard the name and I was like, "It's a very strange name." Um, and, uh, I came to find out the reason why it's called my sister's house it is our women and children's shelter. It's so that when the kids go to school, they don't have to tell their, their friends that they live at a shelter. They can say they live at their sister's house. Um, and so there's a lot of unique things about my sister's house, but it really creates a safe haven for women and children experiencing homelessness. Um, women and children are the fastest growing population in the homeless community. And so it's a really unique place. It has over 360 women and children who live with us every day. Um, and once again, we provide full service care for not only the women and women, but also the children, which is huge. So full-time childcare, they go to school, they have their own social worker that can work with them. Um, and just a lot of developmental, uh, just like a lot of developmental tools that we can give them so that they're not behind in their classes, they're not behind with their friends. So it's a really unique, awesome place that we have. That's that's fantastic. So um, obviously we're in the middle of, of a global pandemic and, and the homeless population is particularly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, how has that impacted uh, the work of the Atlanta Mission and what are you guys like worried about in the months ahead? Yeah, I think it's like we're nine months into this and asked, ask us in March, we would have not known what was about to happen. Um, but it is really neat because like I, I said previously, we were born out of this, um, this great need mm -hmm. for the great depression. So we kind of have been using this like mantra over the last nine months and we were made for times like these, like this is why someone like the Atlanta mission exists is because we do provide that safety and security in times of distress. Um, and while we hadn't experienced a pandemic, um, we were prepared for it. We know what to do. We keep doing the same things we've been doing every day. We keep providing that home for the most vulnerable. Um, but yeah, it was it's it was really scary. It was really scary because um, when the world says, "All right, everybody," when all of our companies, all of our organizations said, "Go home. You need to go home and stay home." Well, what if you don't have a home? What are you supposed to do? Hmm. And we realized early on, we are that home. And so, how do we safely operate our shelters in the midst of this? Because this is their home. They don't have anywhere else to go. Um, and so it's just been really cool over the last nine months to see how our teams on our campuses have really created a space um, that's very safe, very clean, um, still high functioning for the people who are staying with us. Um, and it's cool to see how the community has really showed up and rallied behind us. I will say that infection rates um, across the US were 30% in homeless shelters. We had a less than 1% infection rate. Um, which that's is marvelous. incredible. And that's a huge testament to, like I said, we were made for times like these. We knew what we needed to do. While it looked differently, it was, we, we know that what we're called to do in our city and we still did it. And so 
Um, it's been incredible. I think the hardest thing that we're looking for right now is, you know, I think in March, we were thinking it was going to be a couple months. Um, you know, we're nine months later and we're trying to figure out how do we continue to operate safely in the coming months? It's about to get really cold outside. Um, we have to let more people in than we would normally let in. How do we do that safely? Um, and so we're really looking at different um, things such as new cleaning machines. How do we space everybody out, et cetera? So that's really the biggest concern right now is we're going into a really um, vulnerable time for this population. So how do we make sure we can house as many people as possible, but also keep it safe? Great. Um, and then the last question, uh, you mentioned that you volunteered at my sister's house. Um, so this is a fundraising campaign. We're trying to raise, raise money for all of these wonderful organizations. But what are some things that people can do besides just supporting financially? What are other ways that, that, that people could show up for the last yeah. mission? I will say don't, I think for me, I was, I always thought I'm like, you know, I can just give my money, but that's not doing enough. That, that's a huge need that we have. And so I would never minimize somebody giving money. That's how, that's how I have a job. That's how people are staying safe inside. That's how we only had a less than 1% infection rate. So I will first say that, um, we have created a couple unique ways to get involved. Um, so we are doing what we call volunteer in place activities. So we're not actually bringing um, volunteers on campus right now, just because like you think about a lot of us aren't letting people into our homes. And so why would we do that? These are, these are these men, women, and children's mm -hmm. homes. Why would we let somebody in to this population? And so we're doing um, some volunteer in place activities. You can get together with your friends. Um, you can create kits for our, our community. You can provide a meal for our community, et cetera. We also have an urgent needs list on our website. Um, I think early on when the pandemic started, it was um, easy to know what the need was for medical providers and first line respo responders. Um, and so we've been um, pretty vigilant because we also have a lot of those needs, um, those same kind of needs. And so we have an updated urgent needs list on our website. You can just go to Amazon and do that. Um, and then also just get involved um, through our social channels is great. Just educate yourself, get involved. Um, that's the best way to really keep up with what's going on at the mission. Great. Thank you so much um, uh, for all that you do. And thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today. Thank um, you. This is so exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that wraps up our first ever welcome table. Thank you for spending time with us this evening. Again, if you can, please donate and help support the work of these amazing organizations. Um, it's been great spending this evening with you. And I'm gonna give the final word uh, to Marcus and the Black team. Have a great evening. On behalf of Black ATL and Theatrical Outfit, I would like to say thank you for joining us this evening. I would like to thank the artists who through their immense talent were able to inspire us and the organizations who make it their purpose to serve and love this community. Support these amazing organizations by following the link and donating and help us turn this night of art into a lifetime of community.